As we start off this morning, remember we're going to be um, diving in headlong into the book of Ephesians. We saw the intro last week of um, just uh, looking at who wrote this book, who this book was written to, written by Paul, who was a former persecutor of the church, but is now an apostle of the church by the will of God. He wasn't looking to become a Christian, but God came into his life. Um, and, and literally knocked him off his horse. And he's writing this to the group of Ephesians, these people who are once far from God, but have now been brought near to him. And what a blessing this book is going to be. It, this is by far my favorite book of the Bible. I say that about every book of the Bible that I end up preaching through because I, I love all the books. And whichever one I'm studying at the moment usually is my favorite. But right now, uh, Ephesians is my favorite. Um, and as we start this, I want to take you to uh, about 30 miles from here to Joplin. I maybe mentioned this story before, but in Joplin there are these, uh, these locations called Adventures, uh, uh, Ocean Adventure, Ocean Adventure. If you're ever taking your kid there, it's like a massive ball pit. It's like a room the size of this room that's full of all kinds of fun stuff. We took our, our kids and our nieces and nephews there for a birthday party one time. And the moment they walked in, they were awestruck. It was amazing. Uh, and they went to the entrance of the play area. And again, remember, this play area is like, it feels like the size of this room. They get into that play area and they stop like two feet in. And they are enamored by the balls in the ball pit. Like, it's just the most amazing thing they've ever seen. And they stay right there in that little two-foot space and just enjoy uh, playing in this ball pit. While all the time behind them is a whole world of things for them to explore, slides to go down and basketball hoops to jump through and, and jump into and a bounce house that, that, that is amazing. All of these amazing things in this facility. But our kiddos were just enamored by this small little part up at the front um, when they could have went and explored and went way deeper into the place they were at. And I think that we sometimes tend to do that with our salvation. We think of the forgiveness that's given to us through Christ and praise God that that is what's given to us, forgiveness in Christ. But there is a whole world of depth to the salvation that God has provided to us that we don't always dive into and explore. So just like my kids, they were there. They were at the facility. They were enjoying what they were doing right in that little space and area. They were fine. They, they were there. They were in the ball pit. Um, but there was a whole world for them to explore. In the same way, we can be Christians and completely be content with studying the salvation that we've gotten through Jesus, the forgiveness of our sins. And that's good. That's fine. That is completely enough uh, for us to be with the Lord for eternity. But God provides for us in his word, particularly here in this passage, uh, a depth, a, a view of his salvation that, that crosses the borders of time and space that we can go and look into and go into the deep end. So we need to be, in some sense, pushed off into the deep end uh, to explore the salvation that God has given us. So this morning we're going to read um, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, and we're going to kind of go through there and, and explore what God has to say for us in that. So let's read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4 says this, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to, the good, to his good pleasure that he, poured, or that he purposed in Christ, as a plan for the, the right time, to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth, in him. In him we have also received an inheritance, because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. What an amazing passage. As we go there, those first few verses say this, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. This sermon is basically saying, praise God for the great things that he has done. That's what that verse says. Bless God because he has blessed us. Bless God because he's blessed us. And in one sense, Paul could have stopped there. He could have said, praise God because he has blessed you. And that is enough for us to return praise to the Lord. But then he goes on from there to dive into what he means when he says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul takes a deep dive here to just to bring out praise from our heart. As we do that, we're going to look at three, really three ways, three, three areas that Paul points to and gives us reason to praise God, to bless God. The first reason he gives us is this. Praise God because we are chosen by the Father. Praise God because we are chosen by the Father. We should praise God because he has chosen us. Now, what does it mean that we've been chosen? Well, chosen is just this word for selected or chosen. The, um, our Baptist faith and message has an a, a, a article in it that talks about the doctrine of election. That's what this is. It's just that God has chosen us. And the aspects he points to in this is, one, that God's choosing of us is personal. This is a personal choosing. Notice when he does this. This verse says that he chose us before the foundations of the world. Before the foundations of the world. This means that God selected you not only before you were born, but before the earth was formed. Before there was anything, God had already predetermined that he would set his love and affection on you. Before the earth was formed, before there was a drop of water in the Pacific Ocean, God set his love on you. Before the first blade of grass had grown up in the Great Plains, God had loved you. Before the first tree in the Amazon forest and before, before the first grain of sand in the Sahara Desert, God chose you. Before the Himalayan mountains began to shoot up from the earth toward the sky, God had set his love on you and chosen you. You're chosen by God before the foundations of the world. That would also mean that he chose you before the fall of man. Before the fall of man, as we think of Genesis and and the mistakes that Adam and Eve made when they fell, God had already set his affections on you. What a beautiful thing to think that not even Adam and Eve's sin of falling was able to break this great plan, this perfect plan that God had made to set his affections on us. Before man ever fell, in God's goodness, he planned to save us through Jesus even before the earth was in place, even before man fell. And then again, so before the world was made, before man fell, and before you fell, God had set his love on you and chosen you. 
It's one thing to say that God loves us after we've sinned. But it's another thing to say that God has loved us even before we made the mistake he knew we were going to make. And it's easy for us, right, to think about, man, I wonder if God is going to love me after that, after that sin, after that mistake, after this thought that I had in my heart, after that, this, this stretch of my life that's such a mess. Is God, can God really love me after that sin? But you need to realize that God was loving you before you ever committed that sin. Knowing that you were going to commit that sin, he had already set his love and affections on you in such a way that your sin could not change that. His love, his heart, his affections were set on you in such a way that your sin could not change that. Your sin was coming, but he loved you still. So this, this, this personal choosing that God has done is before the foundations of the world. And it's also adopted us as sons. This is what the passage says. He's adopted us. Uh, he predestined to adopt us as sons. Now, some of you ladies out there might be saying, hey, and daughters, right? Well, if, if, if uh, the guys have to be part of the bride of Christ, y'all can be okay with being the sons of God, right? So what he means by that is this. In this culture, being adopted as a son meant you had the full rights of, of that father's uh, estate. He was going to hand off that full estate, full rights, full privileges. And at this time, if, if a lady were to hear, hey, you're pre-adopted, uh, adopted as a son, they would think, man, that, that is uh, receiving even more benefits than what I could have imagined. And that applies to all of us, being adopted as sons. God is our father. One of the closest relationships that we have in our life is with our father. Now, some of you in this room may be sitting here thinking, my relationship with my father was not my closest relationship. And I, I hear you. I understand that fully. Uh, as, as a guy who didn't have a great relationship with my dad for most of my life. Um, but as I look back on my relationship with my life, part of the fact that that, the fact that, that relationship in some sense hurt me a lot proves that that relationship with my dad was important in the first place. Does that make sense? Because I didn't have that great relationship, and I look back at the effects on my life of having not a great relationship with my dad, just echoes the fact to me that a relationship with a father is important. A relationship with a father is important. And our father, our heavenly father, has always set his love on us. There has never been a moment when your father did not have his eyes on you and was not choosing or predestining to adopt you as his son, adopt you, adopt you as his child. This is a relationship that has, has spanned time. It's been set before the foundation of the world that God would have you as his father. God would, you would be God's, God, God would be your father is what I meant to say. That God would be your father, not you in heaven. Um, what a beautiful picture to know that we have never truly been orphans. There's never been a moment in our lives when we haven't had the love of a parent, uh, our spiritual parent, looking down on us at that moment. So his choosing of us is personal. Like a personal relationship with a father, as sons, as children of the, of the Lord. But it's also purposeful. He didn't just select us for no reason, but he chose us for a purpose. Notice why he chose us before the foundation of the world. He adopted us to be holy and blameless before him. Or to say what our song says, to stand faultless before the throne. What an amazing thing to say of yourself that you can stand before God faultless. 
Because it's easy to do that before people, right? Um, you can have, uh, no one can read your mind, no one can see your heart, um, especially those people outside of your home. Uh, you can stand before somebody else faultless in their eyes in the sense that they don't know the depths of your heart. They don't know the, the things that have gone on behind closed doors in your heart. But God, to think, how can we stand before God blameless, faultless, to be holy and blameless? God didn't just choose us to forgive us of our sins, not just to to mark off the bad, but to deposit the good in us. To be holy. That's what we've talked about throughout our, our vision statement, that we've been, that we are becoming more like Jesus together. That's holiness. That's what holiness is. To be holy is to be like Jesus, to live the way he lived. And when we, not only did God choose to forgive us of our sins, he also chose to make us like his son. Sanctification is what this word is called. That you, be, that you are in the process of being set aside, to be made holy, or to be more like Jesus. And how can we do that? Well, that comes in our next point, that we're chosen by the Father before the foundation of the world, but we're also redeemed by the Son. The only way that we can stand pure and holy and faultless before the throne is because of what Christ has done on our behalf. So, we've been chosen by the Father. We're also redeemed by the Son. We see there in verse 7 that it picks up talking about having the redemption of His blood. We have been given forgiveness. We've been redeemed. So what does the word redeemed mean? Uh, redeem means that you've paid the price for that. You're, you've given what it takes to redeem that. Um, anybody ever been to Chuck E. Cheese? Okay, anybody been to someplace like Chuck E. Cheese? Maybe taking your grandkids there. Okay, Chuck E. Cheese is a great place, right? It's so fun. No sarcasm whatsoever in my voice, right? So you go to Chuck E. Cheese and you dump so much money. Um, maybe you buy the pizza. When we go, we don't even buy the pizza. We just go to play the games, right? So we go play the games and we spend 30 minutes, an hour, playing all of these arcade games. And your kid, when he walked in, looked up and saw this wall of prizes. And he looked at the very top and he saw this brand new state-of-the-art gaming system. That he wanted. So he spent all of his time swiping the little card they give you. They, they don't even give you tokens anymore, if you remember that. They give you this card that you can swipe. You play in games for 30 minutes, an hour, and your kid goes up, and, and on the little digital card they've given, he's like, I'm going to get the game. I'm going to get the game console. He walks up to this place called the Redemption Center, right? That's a perfect name for a church plan or something, the Redemption Center. He walks up to this place, the Redemption Center, and he, he hands the card to the guy, and the guy takes it, Runs it on the computer, and you know that he's going to say 100,000 tickets, which is what that game console costs. And then he says, you have 26 tickets. <laughs> you can get an eraser, a cardboard top, or a sticker. And your kid's heartbroken, right? Because they had set their affections on that gaming system, that PlayStation 5. But... What they had in their bank account was enough for basically nothing. You just spent a, you know, $50 for your kid to get an eraser, right? <laughs> Praise God that when Jesus set his affections on us and the cost that it took for him to redeem us was not more than what he had. He, when he sets his affections on us and chooses to redeem a people for himself, he is able to do it. 
The bank account for him is endless. It's endless based on the amount of grace that Jesus has, not on the amount of sin that we have. Our sins are many, but his mercy is more, as the song says. There is no way that you can out the depths of Jesus's grace and his bank account of grace. If you've ever bought a house, which a lot of us have, they, you have to go through tooth and nail to prove to that bank that you're going to pay them back. I mean, you've got to let them look at every corner of your life and, and like how often do you pay your Netflix bill? Do you pay it on time? Like we need proof that you're going to pay us. Jesus' death on the cross was proof that he could pay the price for our sins. And none of us, no matter how great our sin is, we can never be so far from the Lord that he can't pull us in. We can never sin so much that he cannot save us. And that's because there's nothing God cannot do. And when he sets his affections on us, no matter if we sin or the entire human race sins, he has the ability to save all of his people. We are redeemed by Jesus, by his blood. And to think about the cost that it took for Jesus to pay for your sin. There's only been one innocent human being in all of history, and that was Jesus. And it was the shedding of that innocent blood is what it took to forgive your sins. That's how deep your sin was. Yet he was willing and able to pay that price for you, for you. Because not even your sin could knock off his perfect plan to save us. And not only in this are we given forgiveness, we also get insight into God's great plan. That's what it says in that verse that um, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan at the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things on heaven and things on earth. He had this ultimate plan, not just to save you, but to fix the world. As we read in Romans 8, we realize our sin not only messed up humanity, but also messed up creation. And it, talk, it talks about how the creation groans to be made right. And that's, we see that we're not just, we're not, even just the focus of God's plan. And I know that kind of hurts our like our hearts, man. I thought I was at the center of God's universe. No, actually God is at the center of God's universe. And his redemption of us serves the purpose of glorifying him. And what a great thing. It serves the purpose of glorifying him. Not only is he saving us and fixing us, he's also fixing the world that he has made for himself. Christ was the perfect capstone to God's work that he'd been doing from eternity past. We saw this plan started in eternity past by God the Father and is accomplished by God the Son on the cross. And he's the perfect capstone to that. So we're given forgiveness, we're given understanding, and we're given an inheritance is what this passage says. You don't earn an inheritance, you get an inheritance just because you're part of that family, right? And in the same way, we are given an inheritance, not because we've earned it, not because our earthly parents were rich, but because God was rich according to his plan that he worked out in Christ. And in verse 12, we see, like I just mentioned, that all of this, both God's choosing before the foundation of the world and his redeeming in the son are for the praise of his glory or for his glory. So we're chosen by the father, redeemed by the son. And third, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 and 14 says that in him you were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. 
When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed, the Holy Spirit is a down payment of your inheritance. So we're sealed with the Spirit. A seal is a sign of ownership. In the old days, when you might have to, to seal a letter, the way that you proved that that letter was from you um, was on the back. You flip the letter over, you close it, you pour a spot of wax to seal it, and then you would take some kind of seal um, that was on your desk and you would press that wax and it would show it had your seal on there um, from the desk of Tim Osborne or whatever it might say to prove this is a letter from me. This is my property. Uh, farmers do this to their animals. They brand their animals or tag their ear to show, hey, this is, this is my property. I own this. And that's what God has done for us. The moment, it says the moment when you believed, when you heard the gospel of your salvation and you believed at that moment, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit, marked property of the Lord Jesus Christ, property of God, the father sealed in that very moment. And there's nothing that can undo that seal. No one can come along and scratch the serial number off of you and prove that you don't belong to anybody. No, when you believed in that moment, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit as a deposit, as a down payment. The only place in the Bible that this word guaranteed or down payments used is actually of the Holy Spirit here in this passage. That's the only place because the Holy Spirit is our only down payment. It's the only thing that guarantees that we have salvation. The only thing. There's a lot of things that we probably look to in our life. You might be tempted to look to in your life to guarantee your salvation. What might be on that list? If, you, if someone said, hey, prove to me that you're saved, you might say, here's my church attendance. This is how much I've attended church over the past years. This is how much I've given to the church. That's, that's a proof that I'm saved, right? Or these are all the good works that I've done. This is my family's last name. We go back generations in the church. A lot of things that you could list on a list to say, hey, this guarantees our inheritance, but none of those things guarantee it. Only one thing guarantees your inheritance that you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. A down payment that God has made to prove that there's more payments to come, right? That's what a down payment is. It's proof that there's been an action here and there's going to be continued action throughout. To prove that things are coming. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit until, the rede- until we take possession of our inheritance. Until the redemption comes. Now come, that, that comes a question, right? Do we have this inheritance, like it said earlier on? Or are we going to have this inheritance? It said we have the inheritance. In him we have an inheritance. And then in this part it says, until we acquire possession of our inheritance. Which one is it? Well, I think the answer is yes. In some way, what God has done is we've seen his actions are outside of time and space. In some sense, you were saved the moment God set his affections on you in eternity past. In that moment, you were saved. Yet, in another sense, in real time and space, you were saved when Christ died on the cross and you believed and were sealed by the Holy Spirit. And then in some sense, you will be saved at the last day when God comes to bring judgment on the world and you stand under the blood of Jesus, right? There's a sense in which this salvation is from eternity past. It's in eternity present. It's going to happen in eternity future. That's how sure and steady this salvation is, that he would set his affections on us in the past, redeem us in the present, and then seal us for the future, a day that we all long for. 
Again, as that song talked about, just when, 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 the earth is, when the earth is done, when history's over, when our time on this earth is done and God comes back to judge the world, he's going to make all things right. And the, the, the aches and pains that we've gone through in this life, particularly the ones that are a result of our sins, will be no more. And that guarantee that we have in our heart, that possession of the Holy that that deposit in our hearts of the Holy Spirit is a guarantee that on that day we will be able to stand before the throne of God, faultless and blameless. And again, the echo that's gone throughout this whole passage is this, that all this is to the praise of his glory. As we read this passage, this is, this is a tough passage to, for some people to read about God's choosing and his predestining. But as we come to the end of this passage, there's three things that we need to know that God, when he did this act, this perfect plan of redemption, he did it in love, he did it in wisdom, this passage says, and he did it for his glory. In love, in wisdom, and for his glory. As we think deeply into these things, I hope these things will remind you that as you think and you contemplate what it means for you to be chosen by the Father, that would bring about praise in your heart. And as you think about the price, the redemption price that Christ paid for you, that would bring about praise in your heart. And as you think, as you set this moment, having trusted in Christ, that Holy Spirit as a deposit in your heart, you can know, I can praise the Lord because I know that on that day, I won't be judged, but I'll have that forgiveness from Christ. The song that we're going to sing is Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery here at the end of the service. I chose that because it just kind of goes through the gospel story. So as we sing that song here in a few moments, I pray that you would use this passage as a springboard to praise the Lord. And where we go from here in the book of Ephesians, it just it just keeps getting better and better in this book. It's an amazing book. Um, and so this week we sing kind of the, the amazing plan of God in the past. Next week, we're going to start to look into prayers that Paul prays and how his sal- the salvation that Christ gives us impacts every single area of our life. And really, we see that the book of Ephesians is, is the story of God's glory in the church. Let me pray for us, and we'll sing praises to him.